Hey, good morning. Would y'all take your Bibles and, and let's read our text before we sit down. John chapter 5, turn to John 5. So if you remember the context, Jesus has appeared at a festival. He's healed a man. Um, it's a Sabbath day. The man's walking around with a mat. They're asking, what are you doing? You're working on the Sabbath day. He's like, well, the guy who healed me told me to walk around. And so I'm walking around obeying the guy who healed me. And so, so they're upset with the man. And then they're really upset with Jesus because Jesus is the one who gave the man uh, permission. And so Jesus begins to answer them in regard to why he could heal on the Sabbath. So we're going to put a bunch of stuff together that we've already done. So that'll be all right if we read some scripture. Is that okay with everybody? If you're offended, you probably shouldn't have come this morning with that. So, all right, John 5, let's go to 18 so we can just kind of put it all together because this John 5 is incredible. we got uh, several more weeks in it, but let's put it together. So this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus begins to answer their thing in verse 19 their issue with him, Sabbath, and call himself equal. And so he says, let me tell you about my equality. And this is what he's been doing. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he, that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son and that all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him and truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And here's our text today, 25 through 29. So truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And do not marvel at this, For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that Your Word is powerful and true. Um, We long to to understand um, what is before us today. So Spirit, um, teach us well. In Your name we pray. Amen may be seated. Let's begin to walk um, through this. The emphasis on this section of Jesus answering the religious leaders is his answer is he has the authority to raise the dead. And so we will talk quite a bit about um, that today. And so two undeniable truths flow through this. Everybody is going to be raised. All believers will be raised. All non-believers will be raised. The difference will be where you are raised to. You will be raised to everlasting life with Him in heaven, or you will be raised to be separated from Him uh, in death. And so we will see today 
the great hope that we have that is connected to um, our salvation and our faith in Jesus Christ. So this is a sermon that Jesus is giving in the temple. It is on a Sabbath day answering his critics who have a problem with what he has done healing the man. This is a sermon on his deity. Now, I could give a sermon today on Doak Taylor's life, and it would be so fascinating for a couple of minutes, and then you would go, can we do something different? So I could give a sermon today, and I could make myself the central piece of that, but it's not going to help anybody. As a matter of fact, I can't do that because I've got to talk about the one who is the center of everything, and that's Jesus. But Jesus can do something that no preacher has ever been able to do. He can preach a sermon and talk all about himself all he wants, and it still remain a God-centered sermon because Jesus himself is God. So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is explaining through a sermon to the religious leaders, here is why I can do what I did on the Sabbath, because I am equal with the Father and multifaceted things that He has been communicating um, about that. So He has been telling them He is equal with His Father and explaining to them in the ways that He is. Let me just remind us. um, They were equal in their nature. They were equal in their works. For what the Father does, Jesus can do. They were equal in their power. What the Father can do, By power, Jesus could do exactly the same by power because they are both God. As the Father could judge, later Jesus speaks about in John chapter 8 that Jesus could judge, but He's given this authority to the Son. They were equal in their judgment of things. They were equal in the honor. We talked about that last week, that as the Father deserves honor, Jesus said, so does the Son. So Jesus gets equal honor with the Father. As the Father is truth... Jesus is what? He is truth as well. So they are both truth, and we know from John 6 that the Spirit is truth as well. And then last week we also looked at that as the Father gives life, He also gives the Son authority to give life. And now He's going to add the next layer that we will look at today. And I want want to just picture the scene. You've got people... I mean, they are decked out in Pharisee garb. They look good. They've got things hanging from their tassels. I mean, they look good. It's a Sabbath day. They're standing on their authority. And I want you to watch how Jesus has been, and we've been seeing this, how Jesus has been standing toe-to-toe with them and telling them, men, you are on dangerous territory rejecting who I am. I am equal with the Father. For what the Father says, I can say. I, I am the only one who's been able to see what the Father does. I, I'm the only one who can say what the Father says because I'm the only one who's ever really fully heard everything the Father. And so he is standing toe-to-toe. They're, they're doing T-Rex punches, beep, you know, little T-Rex arms. And he's like, just with spiritual truth, just saying to them, listen, I can do what I can do for a number of reasons. And, and what he's going to share today is, is I can do what I have done because, yes, I have a quality with the Father in many ways, but I'm the one who's going to raise the dead. And I can do what I do by healing a man on the Sabbath day because I also have the commanding authority to raise 
the dead. Now, before we begin to talk about uh, the end time resurrection, um, let me just give you uh, a couple things with this. There are two types of resurrections that will take place or that do take place. There's a spiritual resurrection that takes place at salvation. So at 17, when I came to place my faith and trust in Jesus, he opened my eyes, he did the work, I trusted, I repented, and I believed. I went from death to life on a Sunday night in Waco, Texas. So there's a spiritual resurrection, but then there's also something the Bible teaches called a bodily, physical resurrection, where we are going to die, and we're going to be put into the ground And our spirit's going to leave the body. And eventually, at some particular point in time, um, under God's timing and God's providence, that there will be a resurrection where the physical bodies will be reunited with our spirit. And it will take place for everyone who's believed in Jesus. And it will take place for everybody who has not believed in Jesus. So there's a resurrection. um, There's spiritual. There's a physical resurrection. And there is destinies. A resurrection to life in heaven and a resurrection to damnation and hell. So let's walk through the text today and um, let's look at some important key things in this. And I want to talk about the commanding voice of Jesus. Look with me in verse 25. So truly, truly, this is 25 times in John's gospel. It is Jesus saying, I'm introducing something to you now that is brand new, that's going to be different than what you have understood about things. And I'm telling you things about who I am as the Son of God and as the Messiah. And so in 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. And that, had, that's, by the way, let me just stop there. That had to have bothered them. They didn't want anybody telling them anything. And so as he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he is, he is commanding authority to them that he can say some things to them Uh, And so he is doing that. So he says, here's what I say to you. An hour is coming and actually is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now let's talk about this for a moment. I think verse 25 doesn't have to do with anything about future bodily resurrection. I think verse 25 has to do with as Jesus was walking around Israel and he was proclaiming the truth of the gospel, people were believing, and as people were believing, they were being spiritually raised to life. And so I think this one here, because it's not referencing the tombs, he's going to reference the tombs later in this text, I believe this is a picture of spiritual resurrection that takes place at salvation. Now there are five things I want to briefly touch on connected with the commanding voice of Christ in salvation. And here's the first one. When Christ speaks, it is truth. It's not partially true. It is when he speaks, everything about his speaking is true. So when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, that is exactly what he's doing. He is establishing, he's about to establish something that is true. And so this is an emphatic statement, this truly, truly and he's speaking it, and every time he speaks, it is equal to Scripture. So the power of his voice, Jesus, is truth. Here's the second thing. The providence of his voice. Look what the next part of verse 25 says. An hour is coming. An hour is coming, and then, he's, then he, he adds something to it, and is now here. So let's talk about 
the providence of his coming. He, he was, he's communicating something partially is here now that is changing lives and transforming lives, but there's something in fullness that's going to come. Now, what's, what hasn't happened yet? He hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't been raised from the dead yet. He hasn't ascended to the right hand of the Father yet. Um, and so he, his ministry of intercession, those things have not happened. Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, has not happened yet. But I want you to watch what's happening here. Jesus is saying, there's a fullness that's about to be here. And the fullness of what's about to come is so powerful that it is also partially here right now. So when he was in Sychar in Samaria, and he's sharing with the Samaritans uh, about faith, the Samaritans, what do they do? They believe. So the woman gives testimony. She believes. She goes into town and says, there's this guy out there at the well. Y'all come with me. He knew everything about me. And the townspeople say this. Not only do we now believe because of the woman's testimony, but Jesus stayed a couple more days with them. And they now say, we now believe and we know that you are the Son of God. You're the, you're the one. And they place their faith. And so all over Israel, there were spiritual resurrections that were taking place by people coming to faith in Christ. Their dead life was being raised by the voice of Jesus, bringing people to life spiritually. So verse 25, again, I think is a spiritual sense that he is talking about here. The power of his voice is truth. The providence of his voice, he's saying something more full is going to come. But it's basically here because I am here and I'm doing this ministry. Here's the third thing that I want us to see. And it's this phrase that I just mentioned where he says, and is now here. Now, though the cross and the resurrection had not yet taken place, all across Israel, sinners were moving from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he had right there in the temple as he's teaching that day, people could have moved from spiritual death to life as well. Every place that someone believes in Christ, there is an awakening, there is a um, new aspect, new birth that comes into someone's life. Now let me just touch on this for a second. This is why at this church, we preach Jesus nonstop. We don't apologize for that. We speak Him. We preach Him. We pray in His name. We proclaim. We worship Him. Not that we don't love the Father and we don't love the Spirit, but here's the reality. This is why this is so critical. It is His voice that raises the dead. It is His life that died on the cross. So, so if a church does not proclaim the power and the voice and the nature of Jesus, and they don't emphasize that, there's an emphasis on something that may be Christian-like, but the emphasis is not, you must believe. It is His voice, not my voice this morning. It is not my voice this morning. It is not any kind of creativity that I could come up with this morning. It is not my faithfulness to study that's key this morning. What's key this morning is that He speaks. And if He speaks, the commanding nature is He makes the dead come to life. Spiritually. Spiritually. 
So as he speaks here, when the dead, when he says here, and when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And so those who hear his voice come to life. Let me remind you and I, Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through dope sermons? No, salvation comes, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Christ is the key. So we have to do this. I hope this never happens in your life. I hope you are never a part, I hope that it never comes that you're not a part of our church. But if you were to ever leave Life Point, you better go to a church that does not ever stop talking about Jesus. Go to a place that talks about Jesus, talks about Jesus, talks about Jesus, talks about Jesus. Jesus is saying here, he said, listen, there's coming a time, and it's actually even now it's here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear his voice will live. Now I want you to notice this. You see the phrase Son of God? Later he's going to say Son of Man. These, these have two unique things. When he speaks of himself as the Son of God, he's speaking of himself as the one who offers salvation. When he speaks of himself as the Son of Man, he is the one who came to be like us. But it also has a lot of uh, connection with Daniel chapter 7 that we'll read in a moment that the Son of Man phrase is connected with that he has the authority to bring judgment Injustice and righteousness to the world because he is the one who's been given the kingdom to be able to do this. And so, so we'll look at those things here in a moment. Here's the fifth thing, and we'll move on. The power of his voice to give life. And so he says, and those who hear will live. So I believe this, is, this was more of a, 25 was more of a, okay, salvation spiritual resurrection happening and taking place and so we come let's come now to verse 26 and let's talk about the commanding nature of god as life itself in verse 26 so here's 26 jesus still speaking for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself so in the beginning god spoke and everything came into existence in christ Christ speaks, he gives life, spiritual life to people. In the end days, last days, Christ will speak again and he will physically raise the dead. Now let me remind us in John 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of Blood, nor of the will of man, nor, nor of the flesh, the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but they were born of God. So Christ came to give life. It's belief in Christ. Christ speaks. Christ calls people to salvation. People respond to that call, and spiritual life comes to those people. They move from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Think back with me, Genesis chapter 2. What a day that must have been. God comes, he's in the garden, he takes some dirt, and he fashions man. And man's just lying there. And he doesn't say to man, whenever you're ready, Adam, you can start breathing, and you can come to life on your own. Adam's just lying there, he's just this 
body that's been made from the dust of the ground. Is that what God tells him? Whenever you're ready, you can raise yourself to life? No. What does God do? God, it says this, it says God (gasps) breathed into Adam's nostrils and man became a living being. So watch. Who's the author of life? Us or God? God is. You know, spiritually, it's the same way. And I believe when Adam came alive in that moment in the garden, I think he became spiritually alive and physically alive. A spiritual death takes place later in the garden. And there's a, there's a separation that's there. But when man came to life, he came to life, Adam did, spiritually and physically. Now, I want to say something about God for a moment here. God did not... It's one of those, this is one of those things that's hard for us to comprehend. But there's never been a moment that God has not existed. And so therefore, God did not one day become life. God has always been life. He just, it's His nature. And not only that, you'll hear this today. Go home today. Well, don't go home and do this. But if you were to go home and do this and listen to Christian television out there, you'll hear phrases like this from people who have jobs like me. God needs us. God doesn't need us. Now, does God love us? Absolutely, He does. Does God need us? If He needs us, people like us, He is a weak God and He's not worthy of worship. So watch. He is, he's not continuing to be alive today because he, because he has to have people believe in Him. We don't enhance the nature of God being life. He is life itself. And so the Father has life. The Son has life. And so look what Jesus says. Look at 26 again. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Now, what this does not mean is this, that there was a time when Jesus wasn't life. And therefore, Jesus was like, oh, Father, can I have life? And the Father's like, okay, son, I'll give you life. No, no. As the Father has always had life, so has the Son always had life. But this unique ministry through the life of Jesus was that while he was here, he would become the one who would what? lay his life down to die, to bear our sin, to be raised on the third day so that he had the power and authority now to give us salvation and life. Jesus has the same essence of life just like the Father. And so when this says the Father has granted this to the Son, it doesn't mean that at one time Jesus didn't have this truthful reality to his life. That's not. He has always, always had the same essence of life, just like the Father. Now, back in the day, there was a guy named Sibelius. And Sibelius said, well, here's the deal about God. It's, you may have heard it today. It's a, it's a false doctrine. It's called modalism. And this is what modalism teaches is that at different points in time in history, God decides he's going to be the son in this situation, and then God changes and he becomes just 
the father in this situation. And then in this situation, he only becomes the spirit. He's not three in one. He's just one, and he can only be one, not all three. And, 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 and so this was taught. And so guess which verse that they used back in the day to confront modalism in Sibelius, this verse right here. And it's this verse that says, if the Father is granting to the Son something, then do you have just one or do you have two? You have two. And so this is one of the verses that they use to confront Sibelius and modalism to say, no, he's not just one time, okay, I'm going to be the Father today and tomorrow I want to be the Son. No, no. We have one God manifested in three glorious persons whose essence and nature is fully God. Now, I want to show you something. I want to just flip things. I want you to go to Psalm 115 just for a moment. And I want to show you something in Psalm 115 that's important. Our God is life. The gods of the world are worthless. Psalm 115, verse 2. Why should the nations say, this is to Israel, the pagan nations, where is their God? So the Jews answer, the writer answers, our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. Now think about that for a moment. If God is in the heavens and He reigns on a throne in the heavens, He created the heavens, and He can do whatever He pleases. He can heal on the Sabbath day. He can bring life. He can speak. He's got this commanding nature. Well, what about the gods of the world? What are they like? Can they do whatever they please? And do righteousness and justice and goodness? Well, no, because here's what they're like. Look at verse 4. Their idols, their gods, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Somebody made those gods. What, what's the characteristics of those gods? Can they just do whatever they please? No, they actually can't do anything. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they make not a sound in their throat. And those who make them, they become just like them. And so do all who trust in them. Now listen to this, church, before we move on. Well, I've been in some countries of the world that just full of idols. And I've watched people crawl on their hands and knees to statues if you were to get near that statue and you can't get near to that statue there have been 60 to 70 monkeys crawling on that statue and pooping and urinating on it and I've watched people crawl up to those statues reaching for them praying to them pleading with them and I've watched human beings come to those statues and have to clean the monkey excrement off of those idols because those idols aren't holy enough to be cleansed already by their nature. And so picture this. Jesus is in the temple saying to the religious leaders, let me tell you something. 
This one that you say you worship, Yahweh, you don't have any clue about him because if you had a clue about him, you would see that the very essence of who he is is standing in front of you. And they're rejecting him. And he says, listen, as the Father has life in himself, the Father has granted me to be here to speak life. Now in John chapter 1, John writes, Jesus is life. In John chapter 5, 21, Jesus has life. And in John chapter 5, Jesus gives life. He, he is life, everything connected with it. And so this commanding nature of God to speak and to bring life must not be lost on you and I. Now look at verse 27. And I want to talk about, we're going to move to more future picture of what's coming in the days ahead. So Jesus has been talking about, as I minister around and I speak and I teach the gospel, people who are spiritually dead are coming spiritually alive. Now he's going to go all the way to the future. He's going to speak about another resurrection that is, yes, spiritual, but it's going to be physical in its characteristics and what happens and takes place. So there's a future now focus, 27. And he, the Father, has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment. Now notice, he's going to use another phrase here, because he is the what? Son of man. So before, Son of God, a reference of to Jesus using this, that he's the giver of salvation. Now he's going to speak um, that he is not only the Son of God, but he is the Son of Man. And we'll read Daniel 7 here in just a moment. But let me make two statements um, under the commanding authority of the Son to bring judgment. And the first one is simply this. The Father completely, totally trusts Jesus' judgment on all matters. Not that Jesus is in a room hiding things. But he has been given and granted complete trust by the Father to have this role. The Father knows that the Son will do every aspect of the kingdom rightly in every kind of way. And look what it says. He has given him authority to execute judgment. Jesus has all of the power necessary to carry out the raising of every person's body to send them to heaven or to the second death. Now his authority and this role has been given to him by the Father means that he can carry out this judgment, therefore making him an all-powerful judge. Acts 17, listen to this. This is 30, Acts 17, 30 and 31. The times of ignorance, Paul writes, God overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent. So those of you in Asia crawling to idols, you need to repent of that and come to Jesus Christ. The times of ignorance, that's gone. Christ has come. All people, you are commanded to repent and come to Jesus Christ. And here is why. There is a dead line. Dead line. And it's ticking on the clock in God's calendar. In God's timetable. In the timetable, Paul says this, because he has fixed a day, the Father has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, referencing Jesus. And of this, he has given assurance to all that Jesus has the authority to do this by raising him from the dead. 
So why does Jesus have the power and the authority to be able to raise the dead, the the physical dead, and bring life and reunite soul and body of those who reject Him and those who believe in Him? He does so because He has given this great assurance because He has conquered the grave. He has this great authority. His nature, His essence, and all of these things, His equality with God. And so, Son of God, referring to salvation, He can do it. Son of man, brings judgment is a picture of the incarnation so the father trusts the son to make these decisions and secondly the trust of the father and the nature of jesus as the son of man do not ever think that because jesus became a man that he was ever less god that he was less omniscient that he was less powerful than the father now there were some things while he was here that he in a sense did not use, but it does not in, in regard to if Jesus was in the temple one day, um, though by his nature he's omniscient, on that day he's in the temple, in the, or not om, omnipresent, okay, let me go back, he's always omniscient, but he's there in the temple, he's in the temple that day, he's not in, in he's not here on this plot of land 2,000 years ago at that same time. So there are aspects of, of him that, that he didn't, he, he gave up in a sense, but they, this does not mean that he became ever, 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 ever became less than God. So the Father trusts the Son in judgment. And the Father trusted the Son even though he became a man. But this becoming nature of a man is unique in this. Is he's the only one who gets humanity? He gets, he gets what, why? Because he was one of us. He was here. He understands things. Listen, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to be, become the wrath bearer, the satisfier of, for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, listen to this. Why does Jesus have this authority, this commanding authority as the Son of Man and the Son of God to bring judgment on the earth? Well, one of the reasons is Because of who He is, He is the Son. Another one is because He is the Son of Man, because He's the one who came here. Listen to Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heavens there came one like the Son of Man. And He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before the Ancient of Days. And to Him, the one who came to the Ancient of Days, to Him was given, what, a dominion? and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve Him. And His dominion, the dominion of Jesus, Daniel writes, is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so Jesus here is given a glorious kingdom, an everlasting dominion, so that all peoples, all nations, all languages would serve Him. As the Son of Man, He is the only one uniquely qualified to be the judge 
of humanity because He is omniscient God as the Son of Man as well as the one who understands humanity for He was one of us. And I just shared that in Hebrews 2 and in Hebrews 4. So listen, church. The commanding authority of the Son is Jesus, again, adding another layer as to why He can do what He was doing was that He could bring judgment because of who He is. Here's the last thing this morning. And I want to talk about the commanding glory of the resurrection to life and death. Look at 28 and 29 with me. This is where we'll finish. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this for an hour. And again, this is not, is this going to happen at 3.38? No, this is an this is an era, this is a new, a new phase of things, a new, a new time. Do not marvel this, for an hour is coming. Now here's where I think things are different from 25. Earlier, I believe it was spiritually, I believe this one is physically. When all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of judgment. So we're going to have a little Bible drill. Everybody ready? You ready? Bible drill? Ready? I want you to turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4 for a moment. So there will be two resurrections. Christ's followers will be raised. And then Christ's rejectors also will be raised. Let's look at one of these in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, about those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself, 16 says, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in who will rise first? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who haven't died, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. Now go to Revelation chapter 20. And we're just going to stay there and, and finish our time that direction. Revelation 20. So 1 Thessalonians 4 about believers, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, about believers. Here it is. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads, or their hands, they came to life 
and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so with believers, there's two, resur- there's two resurrections in a, in a sense. There are those who have died who believed, and they are raised at the second coming of Jesus. And then there are those during the tribulation period who died because they don't buy into the Antichrist system. They don't take the mark. They don't worship the beast. And they will be beheaded, and they will be killed because of their love for the Word of God and their love for Jesus. And they will be raised. And as the millennial kingdom begins, they will reign with Christ during that time. Now we go to verse 11 of Revelation 20, and he speaks about those who reject Jesus. They will also be raised physically. Revelation 20, verse 11 and following. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Can you imagine that? You can try and picture that, that earth and sky can't find a place to hide from the coming of the wrath of Christ and what's happening here and no place was found for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened and then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done and the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So watch what happens. Got to put it all in context. Jesus is standing in the temple. Why why do you have the authority to tell that man he he can carry his mat on the Sabbath day? Well, let me tell you why I'm telling him to do that. Because I have the same nature as the Father. As He can give life, I can give life. As He can raise the dead, I can raise the dead. It's the commanding voice of the Father and my commanding voice that raises the spiritually dead to life. But I also have this authority, and you are in great danger, men, that I'm talking to in the temple right now. You see, I've been given the authority at the end of the age. It will be my voice that raises the dead. And I will raise those who believe in me to everlasting life. And I will raise those like you who don't believe in me. And I will raise you to life. And it's going to be a life that's going to be eternal separation and eternal damnation. And I know this message is not taught a lot today in our culture because it offends people. But I just want to remind you and I this morning, I am teaching Jesus' sermon. I'm not making this stuff up. These are his words that he is speaking there. And he is saying this. He's saying, I can do what I do because I am equal to the Father. And one of the reasons I've been equal to the Father is that he has given me the role of speaking and raising the dead and uniting them with their souls and bringing them to the resurrection of life or bringing them to the resurrection of death and eternal separation. By the way, can I just say this? I'm going to, whether I can say it or not. Will you think about the power that the voice of Jesus has, that he can, in this quick, he can say, rise in every single dead body that has ever lived on the earth is reunited with the Spirit right then. 
He doesn't have to go to Africa and go, okay, what are we going to do about the African continent? Let's work on that. Okay, now let's go to South America, and we'll work on raising the South American ones. You know, this is a big job. No, he doesn't have to do it. He is so powerful, he speaks, and it happens immediately. Those who believe in him are raised to life, and those he speaks, and those who are dead are raised Reunited with their bodies to be separated from Him. That is unbelievable power, men and women, this morning. Unbelievable power. Nobody in this room can speak in a commanding way like that. And so Jesus, again, I want you to put the context. In the temple, He's saying this to the religious leaders. You want to know why they hate Him? It's this stuff. They just can't fathom that somebody would say this but jesus is just telling them look guys this is the deal and even if it doesn't compute in your mind it doesn't mean that it's not true and you see this all the time in our world today people try to outsmart the existence and the nature of god that they will be forever damned separated from him in hell because they don't want to believe that there's actually an offer of life. They just want to hang on and be in control of their own lives. And I think freedom comes in surrender. It never comes from trying to keep control. And he says that when all in the tombs, every person of every age who have died and are in their tombs or in the ocean or swallowed by a shark or eaten by a lion were beheaded at a guillotine and buried for all time. He knows where the bodies are and he will raise them in a moment's notice. And just as Lazarus came out of the tomb, so will those who have died. All right. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3 and this is where we're going to close. I know y'all look at me every Sunday at this body up here and wish that you had something like this. <clears throat> you know, not all of you can have something like this. It's taken 54 years to get this piece of perfection at the right place. Some of us in the room this morning, our bodies have issues with them because we were born with stuff and they discovered when we were kids. You have this, and you're going to have to live with it. Some of our bodies are having the issues that they have because we've had jobs that are just really strong manual labor, and we've crawled under cars and lifted heavy things, and gosh, you know, our fingers are, and, and we're going to have to live with things like that. And some of us have had accidents, and we have to live with the reality of that. But the reality is all of our bodies, from the moment that we're born, are, are breaking down. And it's because sin just does that. We just decay. But there's going to come a day that we're going to get a new body. And I don't, um, we don't really fully know what all this means. <clears throat> but we're going to get a new body. And the Bible tells us in verse 21 of Philippians 3 what that body is going to look like. And this is what Paul writes. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. 
by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. So there's one evidence. What are we going to be like? Well, we're going to have a body like his. Well, what was his body like? Well, it was physical. After his resurrection, what could he do? He could just appear in rooms. And so, so probably, possibly, we're going to have that reality. Here's one more. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And this one ought to get you excited. If this one doesn't get you excited, then I can't help you. Beloved, we are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. You know what we're going to be like one day? Not this. Thank God, right? We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be like Him. And I can't think of anything better to close with this morning than that great reminder. Listen, church. You can play the game that you know Him. But if you've never come to know him, I want to lovingly say to you, you are headed toward damnation, separation from him if you don't come to know Jesus. And oh, you'll be raised in the twinkling of an eye one day, but not to the hope of eternal life, but to the destruction of separation from him. And there's nothing magical, and I'm not, I can't say anything magical this morning to fix anybody's spiritual condition, but I can do this. I can say this, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. And all I've wanted to do this morning is to say that Jesus is worth everything. Come to Him. Come to Him and believe. And He will raise your spiritual dead life on the inside to life and to the hope of eternal life with Him and eternity in heaven. So this is another way Jesus, again, how He answered why He had the authority to do what He did. Let's pray.